I was presented with a concept that to this day has changed my life completely. And the concept was the, this notion around paradigm shift. I was really intrigued by it. They show us a video. Pretty much all the videos were about the fact that, you know, whatever you put in your head, these limits that you put in your head, those are real limits, but they're really controlled by you. Okay, so if this is true, what they're saying, and I bought it, if I think of myself as a, a student, a student that just gets really good grades, if I think of myself that way and I emulate the behavior of people that get those type of grades, I will become that person. And I was so convinced that that was true that I pushed myself so hard in my first semester and year of school Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. show thank you for listening and you're going to want to hit the subscribe button we got a long one for you today but it's one of my favorites if not my favorite i can't say but this may be my favorite episode so far we got francisco morales co-founder just moved from being the ceo to executive chairman of 511 you may know the brown 511 tactical gear we're going to get into ignoring history and reality on the path to your goals. And he's gonna talk about how to build a multi-billion dollar brand while staying in harmony with your goals and your true self. Don't forget to subscribe. Welcome to the show and welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Well, today is a wonderful day. We've got Francisco Morales, CEO of 511 Tactical. You've probably heard of it. You've probably seen the stores and the signs. CEO of a prestigious brand, a Venezuelan gentleman, which not everybody knows, philanthropist, wonderful family man. Everybody knows that. Ultra marathoner, Iron Man, private comedian to a select few lucky individuals. <laughs> and of course, a textile giant and brand manager extraordinaire, Francisco. Thank you for making the time and welcome to the show. Hey, Matt, thank you for having me over. Uh, looking forward to the discussion today. And I have no idea what you have uh, for me, but uh, looking forward to it. You're always full of surprises and I'm sure oh, oh, today will not be a different. Over here, right as I started, my dog sits in my office and thinks I'm talking to him. I haven't talked <laughs> for three hours. As I start talking, he gets it's like, up. hey. Here he is, and it's going to get even worse, Francisco, even worse. But before we go way back and get into co-founding and leading 5.11 and get into L.L. Bean, Dicks, Royal Robins, what it means to be a CEO, I got to get from you, what is your definition of excellence? You know, it's, it's a really good question. I, I think my definition of excellence is when you're able to achieve balance. And when I say balance, I'm not saying 50-50, you know, I'm, I'm saying, you know, this mosaic of your professional life, your friend's life, your community life, you know, your contributions to society, to yourself, to your family, 
and you put it all together for what you want to achieve in life in harmony. If you're able to achieve that, I think that's pretty amazing. I think most of us tend to struggle with, you know, either being just charging forward with your professional career or like, hey, I'm I'm just not that driven. I'm just going to take it easy. But when you're able to put it all together, that to me is excellence. So you've got the harmony of the professional friend, community, society, self, whatever other plates you're spinning and achieving what you set out for. And I just want to stress and achieving. And achieving. Yeah, that that is, just think about it, you know, it's pretty easy, which I, you know, when we get into it, like I did in my early years, you know, I just worked myself to death and you just do that and you achieve your goals. But can you do that and also be present in in other parts of your life and, and enjoy life and contribute to society? Can you do all that and achieve your goals? And I've heard the argument that there is no balance. And I've heard the argument become your job. And, and I don't buy that. I believe in balance, but I also believe that balance can't be looked at on a daily basis. You're not going to balance every day. You have right. to look at it on a weekly ba- basis. It's got to be looked at quarterly or maybe every year. Now, there are times when Francisco's on a plane and he's somewhere in Asia and he's somewhere in South America and then he hits Europe and he's not with his kids and he's not with his friends and he's not helping his community. He's work, 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 work. And there's times when he's taking a vacation and it's always exactly. turned off. So you're going to have different moments where you're focused on different things, but able to achieve what you set out to do. You're going to be a good parent. You're going to be a good spouse. You're going to affect the community. You're going to crush it at work. Able to do all that over the course of a quarter or a year with different periods of time focusing on different things, right? Yeah, whatever is important to you, whatever, you know. Well, first of all, I think you have to start with that. What do you want, right? Like you kind of have to build that plan between. Yeah, set goals and set a plan for yourself and expectations so that you have, even in your subconscious, I think it's critical that you have that wire in in your head that, hey, this is where I'm going. This is what what I want to become. So when things present themselves along the way that do not align to that, you go away from them. And when things do align to that, you you go towards them. And you'll make those, those decisions many times subconsciously if you have wire yourself that way yeah so i also want to just take another side note here i said goal francisco said plan you can't just have a goal and not have a plan and right now we're this is going to be aired sometime in you know february march april i don't know uh it's time to be hunting for a job it's not good enough to say oh i want to have a fantastic career well what's the plan and what do you need to change to get there and what's the breakdown of the plan? And what do you need to do today to, to get to where you need to be tomorrow, to get to where you'd be the next day? And I've got my son upstairs with his buddies hanging out, and I've been hounding him. Dude, six more months. Have you started looking? Oh, yeah. How many minutes? I asked him, how many minutes? And I know it's minutes. No, it's hours, I said. You're going to need to spend three hours a day for the next six months writing cover letters, researching companies, doing interviews. To get a career when you're a senior in college, it's not just the goal, it's the plan. And it works the same with with your body. If you want to get your body together, if you want to get your sleep together, if you want to get your food together, if you want to change careers, if you want to get a promotion, there's a goal and a plan and you're adjusting, 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 and your balance is adjusting and adjusting. And we're getting deep into it. Before we get deep into this, before we get into co-founding and leading 511, before we get into building the brand and staying true to your customer. We're going to talk about staying true to your customer. I don't know if you saw my products on the back. 
staying true to your customer. I am not the core customer, but I love 511. And Francisco doesn't care. Because he's, <laughs> not, he's not aiming for overweight 50-year-olds with bad backs. That's not why he makes these puncture-proof shoes over here that I have five different pairs of and I bought for all my friends because they're so comfortable. He makes them to protect people in the military or people in undercover police to make sure they don't have a needle go through their shoe. So there's there's a guy who's a guy Kiyosaki that said, let a thousand flowers grow. He's like number two or three at Apple. They made Apple and it got used for other things. Francisco makes clothes that I like, but he doesn't care. He stays true to the brand and he customizes things for them and he talks to them and he meets with them and he makes changes for them. But we're not getting into that yet. We're not getting into textiles. We're not even going to get into almond farming. We're going to get into what life was like in high school and college for Francisco because his path's a little different. Some of you listening right now might be on that different path. Maybe you didn't go to the premier high school and get the perfect grades and head out. Neither did Francisco. So what was life like for you and Francisco and where were you at? You kind of you have that romantic sound to your voice. Yeah, you yeah. Yeah, so the accent, you know, I grew up in Caracas. I was born and grew up in, in Caracas, Venezuela. My father was a Spanish tailor that had migrated, you know, when he was in his teens and met my mother there uh, working together. And, and together they started a, a apparel manufacturing business. So my, my brother and I had the fortune of working with my father and my mother and, and learning the business from them. Uh, you know, work was never an issue for me. I was always a hardworking guy, good work ethic, uh, but a school was. I had a really tough time concentrating. I had a really tough time liking school. Uh, I didn't understand, you know, where I was going to use half of the stuff that was there being taught to me and, and how I was going to make money doing, you know, half of the math that, that was being taught to me and that I was studying so hard to take tests and all this stuff. So I, I had a really rebellious attitude towards school so, so much that when I was 15, I told my dad, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to go work full time. And my dad agreed, but he said, you know, you, you got to finish school. So I did a GED, the equivalent of, of a GED. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I did. I barely graduated from high school. And then I came to the U.S. when I was 19. I had been working already for four different parts of the industry, including, you know, sales and manufacturing. And, and I really knew that I loved the fashion textile industry. So I came to, to learn English. And when I came here, then I realized I could go to Philadelphia, a uh, school called Jefferson University today, but at the time it was called uh, Philadelphia College of Textiles and science and actually study fashion apparel and textiles and things that, that I was very passionate about. And oh man, what a flip. That flipped the switch for me. So just to back it up a little bit, your father was a tailor, is that what you just said? In Spain? Yeah, from yeah, Spain. He was, already, he was already working in his teens, met your mom in their teens. No, no, no. They, they, he, he migrated to Venezuela in his teens. And then met you know he met my mom probably when he, in his thirties. So did and he migrate with his family or did he? No, just... by himself. He migrated. He migrated by himself. You know, at, the, at that time he had he had family in Venezuela. At that time, you know, the Canary Islands were were going through some tough times economically, and a lot of people uh, were migrating to the New World and countries like Venezuela. If you had uh, some type of skill, like in his case, he was a tailor, they would pay for your ticket 
to go there and, and give you an incentive because you know Venezuela was a, a rich oil country that had a lot of money but didn't have people enough people to to develop the country so so all these Europeans you know Spaniards Italians Germans they they all came at, around that time and so when you were also in your teens and you were also making a big brave change and going to another continent. Yeah. Um, were you conscious that, hey, my dad did this, I want to do what he did? Or is you it know, a coincidence? It, I, I think in the, in the back of my head, that was probably, you know, some admiration towards my dad. Like, you know, his, his courage to, to leave everything behind yeah, and, and his family to, to pursue a better uh, future for him. For me, when I came to the U.S., I was only planning to be here for nine months. So I, I was just more worried about, you know, my house at the beach that I wasn't going to be able to to visit while I was here for, for nine months. And, and I thought it was going to be really tough and living in the winter. And, you know, we go to the beach every weekend in Venezuela. You know, we live right there in the Caribbean. So it was a good life. And I was really worried about living that good life to come to to. You know, for for us Latin people, the U.S. can be a little bit boring, right? Like our 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 <laughs> our, our, our I bars. Can't wait to go to South America. With yeah, you our bars close like at six a.m. You guys go to bed here like like at midnight. Wait, are you <laughs> so, going to South America in a couple of months? In in a couple of months? No, I'm not going to that trip. You are now. <laughs> so, by the way, uh, my kids will not listen to this. I do this. Most I started this for my kids. I wanted to capture my knowledge and capture my friends' knowledge. And then it became for my kids and my friends' kids. So this is really for your kids. I guarantee your kids listen to this. And Sydney, do not move to another country. We do not <laughs> want that happening. We do my, not want that. My kids will never listen to this. They don't listen to anything I say. So I have no risk. But when Kennedy was in London, I'm thinking, oh, no, please, please. And I have family in London, too. Please don't stay there. Please don't stay there. So your parents are bombing. You're trying to honor them. And you came to the U.S. for nine months just to learn English. That's just to learn English, yeah. And and that's when I realized that, you know, I, I actually could have a career in a field that I was interested in. And, and, and when I said I flipped the switches, what a change. You know, when I went to school, the... First of all, I was going to go for something that I was passionate about. So when but I went to English... English school, not in Philadelphia. No, it, 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 when I went... It, I went to learn English in Connecticut in a small school in, in New Haven, very close to Yale University, uh, right there in New Haven. And and I already, you know, had done really well. Remember, I I, I really struggled during the school yeah. in Venezuela. Then I came here and I said, hey, let's let's focus on, on the school and do a good job. So I did really well in the English school. And then when I went to college, I was presented with a concept that to this day has changed my life completely. And and the concept was the this notion around paradigm shift. I was really intrigued by it. They show us a video. Pretty much all the videos were about the fact that, you know, whatever you put in your head, these limits that you put in your head, those are real limits, but they're really controlled by you. So they were showing, you know, these uh, ultra runners in Mexico, for example, that, you know, the average Westerner at that time, they, you know, ultra marathons were not a thing at that time, you know, runs a, a 26 mile uh, marathon. And these people run 100 miles like nothing. But to them, the distance of 100 is, is normal to us. 26 was normal. So, so make a long story short, after the video, I, I was like, okay, so if this is true, 
what they're saying, and I bought it. If I think of myself as a a student, a student that just gets really good grades, if I think of myself that way, and I emulate the behavior of people that get those type of grades, I will become that person. And I was so convinced that that was true that I pushed myself so hard in my first semester and, and year of school. You know, I, I did not party. I just was relentless. I was like, okay, I, I, I want to, I, I was watching, you know, like the best students in the class. Like, what do they do? How do they take notes? I went and took a learning assessment. Uh, the, the school had a place that you could take a learning assessment and they immediately were like, hey, no, you, you got to be careful. You don't assimilate when you read. You got to take what you've read and summarize it and put it. You have a visual memory. You got to put it kind of like in a spreadsheet and, and see it. You, you cannot just read this stuff. You got to synthesize. They taught you how to learn. They, they taught me how after they, I took some tests. So I did all this, Matt, and it was crazy. I mean, I got that semester, I got a 3.98. And remember, I just learned English. Like, yeah, you I'm just, just learned English and you'd never gotten a 0.8 in, in your previous school. Shit, I never got to an AB. So so I was like, okay, this stuff really, really works. So then I continued to apply that, you know, paradigm shift, graduated. Is that how you lost all your weight? Like, Pete, I've known you a long time. So most of your friends don't know that you used to be even a little bit bigger than me. Yeah. I was training to become a sumo wrestler in case the, the, clo <laughs> the clothing business did not work. Was my plan B. But, but yeah, if you remember, we have a member's trip to, to Japan. And I was hanging out with Shannon, one of our dear friends. And we were talking about this notion of paradigm shift. And she wasn't buying it. Mm. Uh, the story that I just told you. And she said, you know, so you're telling me that if tomorrow you put in your head that you are a runner, that you will become a runner. And I said, yeah, exactly. I mean, I will start emulating the behaviors of a runner. And little by little, that will change. And my subconscious will start making decisions towards that. And next, you know, I'm a runner. And she starts just laughing. And mm. I'm like, okay. Done. Tomorrow I'll, I'll start. So I went to the gym the next day. I remember Danny Sun and Shine was there, and he's like, uh, "What? The, what are you doing here?" I said, "I'm running." It's like, uh, "Okay." And from that day, you know, I went and started running. I ran my first mile. That was like, "What an accomplishment!" Then I ran my first 5K, and then I ran my first half marathon. And then our our friend uh, Joe Gerber. Uh, say, hey, I'm running a, a 50 miler. That's an ultra marathon. And I said, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll run it with you. So uh, I trained for that and I ran my first ultra and then I got hooked to that stuff. So I've been running ultras, uh, you know, since then. And every uh, once in a while, I'll be on the trail pushing my button and I'll <laughs> run into Francisco sprinting along almost at my pace. But I want to back up on this paradigm shift. So it's a purposeful paradigm shift. And I can't believe Shannon didn't believe it because that's what Michael Phelps does. That's what the Olympians do. Shannon's been to all the speakers we've been to. She's read the books we've read. I mean, people know about vision boards, role playing, fake it till you make it, be the ball. But she just didn't believe that maybe it was. You know, e either one. either she didn't believe me or she wanted me to bite oh, the, the bait. That's, okay, that's you know, I, I, and she was manipulating you. 
Yeah, maybe maybe she was challenging me and, and hey, wanted Shannon, to... come manipulate me. My whole body's falling apart. <laughs> I'm overweight. Come manipulate me. So the paradigm shift, and by the way, just to, if you're in the, if you're in the car right now, pull over. Don't be riding while you're driving. If you're on 1.5 speed, that's okay. We always listen to this on 1.5 speed. But this is a concept that works. And and Scott Olivet, who's a friend of ours, um, uh, works on this envisioning, this focus. Uh, and if you listen, there's some patience in Francisco's voice. It won't happen right away. I'm not an ultra marathoner tomorrow, Shannon. Little by little, he said. So you have to be patient. And, and if you think, if you listen, we already heard Francisco talk about always being a hard worker. It takes work. He didn't think, oh, I'm going to be a runner and not run. He didn't think, oh, I'm going to be a runner and not eat well. He made a plan like we talked about before. He made a plan. He had a goal. And, and it's not just the definition of excellence, able to achieve balance and achieve what you set out to achieve. The plan is part. So what Francisco said way back at the school, they talked to him about paradigm shift. You never know what you're going to get out of school. Just sometimes these things hit. And he practiced it over the course of a lifetime. And now he's able to become an ultramarathoner. I'm sure you did it with 511. And 511 went from a relative, well, it was a $300,000 a year pants company when you you met the original founder, right? And then yeah. you became all these other things. And, you know, the jackets I wear, I don't know if you saw this, got the shirts. <laughs> uh, Francisco knows that when my wife takes me to the beach, I go on his website because I can't say, I did learn how to, I blew my back. I learned how to relax the last two, last two weeks, laying on the floor, reading the hope and the glory. I don't know if you've read it. No, my uh, hope and the glory. You got to read that with my map books out, studying the history of Israel on maps while I'm reading the history of Israel in the hope and the glory. And I learned how to relax. I didn't envision it. But as I laid there, I realized to myself, wait a second, I need to learn how to relax. I need to have a paradigm shift. What do people that relax do? Oh, they have to lay on their back all day. Mm. The doctor told them to. What am I going to do there? Am I going to watch TV? No, I'm going to relax and educate myself. So you've got this focus, this vision, this effort, this patience, which turns you into a good student. But again, you didn't go partying. You studied. You ate yep. well. You slept in. So there's a commitment to your commitments. If you wrote down paradigm shift, write down commitment to your commitment. And so this is occurring there in Philadelphia as you're studying uh, what, what were you studying? You're studying fashion apparel management, right? Yeah, that was the name of it, fashion apparel management. You know, that's the first time I tried the concept. I, the second time I tried the concept was even, I mean, remember, for me to graduate first in my class, my dad, you know, rest in peace, uh, was telling my mom, this guy, there is no way that this is true. Like he he's probably not even graduating from from college when you go there, you know. He's probably not even graduating. And and he says, he's overdoing it, you know, like he's telling you he's you know, he's he's graduating, you know, cum laude. It's like yeah. you know, my dad felt <laughs> he's like too far. Yeah, this is like, you know, uh but the second time that I did it, I was was very interesting, you know. So now I'm in my mid, you know, I would say low twenties or mid twenty-four or something like that. I get to my first job. A year later, I hire one of the guys that used to study with me. We were good friends. He was working in my department. And he says, hey, what are your goals? And I was telling him about paradigm shift. And I said, and now I'm going to test this concept. I'm going to become a millionaire be before I'm 29. And, you know, we're, we're having a few drinks. This is uh, Maine. You know, it's a lot of snow. There's not much to do. And, 
And every time we were having a few drinks, he he would pull out, this guy was an engineer, he would pull out a calculator and say, hey, Francisco, okay, you're making $34,000 a year right now. All right, let's assume that you start making $50,000 a year. Let's assume they start making $100,000. You know, he will run every calculation and he was like, there is no way that you're going to be a millionaire by the age of 30. And, you know, I was wired that way. And then when I look back, you know, all these different things happened in my life. You know, I left that job for another job that had an opportunity to have stock options. With those stock options, I made money. And then I took some of that money, invested in something else. And then we joined another company. We sold that company. And But by the time you realize, you know, I was 29 years old. I was interviewing a YPO uh, to join YPO. And I was a member of YPO at the age of 30. But I think all that happened because, you know, you just relentlessly wire yourself that way. Again, that's something that I wanted. If if I were to do it differently, I would say I would have liked to accomplish the same thing, but with more balance. You know, you were talking about being overweight. Well, the overweight was, you know, I was just focused on working. So I would leave the office and hit Taco Bell and uh, like, like mm. not eating all day. Bean burrito with green sauce. How good is that thing? Yeah. And like, oh. you know, two things of soda and that would have yeah. been like my meal. And well, you know, so if I had done that and I had been a runner and all the stuff, but I can't affect the past. I can only affect today. Sometimes not even affect the future. So uh, back to our balance. That's where I, I go like, okay, yeah, you want to be able to, you can accomplish things like I did. And we'll continue to do, but uh, it gets more interesting if you can bring some surround that by other activities. And you could, you could have, you could have run to the salad store instead of driven to the Taco Bell. You could have had a plan to be a healthy millionaire, right? Um, under thirty. And when we do life planning, uh, you, know, you know, I know you do it. I do it in my little biz, my forums and my groups. I do it with my employees too. We break it down into categories. You have to have family and relationships. You have to have achievements. There's the spiritual and monetary yeah. wealth. There's the rituals, you know, the healthy body. Um, there is a, a kind of another side lesson that you threw in there that we brushed over real quick. And I just saw this in my business. I, I stopped sharing historical data with my team a couple of years ago. And I used to share historical data. Okay, last year we did X. Let's do more than X. And X stopped people thinking big. So mm. a couple of years ago, I stopped, you know, what did we do this same? Because our, our business is cyclical. So what we do this same week 10 years ago? What we do the same week this year? How much better are we? Okay, we're doing better. I stopped doing that and boom, hockey stick growth occurred. And it's not the only reason, you know, you're winding up the yarn, getting ready, getting everything fixed. But when your buddies come to you with a spreadsheet, on why you can't do what the, what they're saying, what you're saying you should do when they're running all the scenarios. Every once in a while, you have to ignore that. Yes. Yeah. And every once in a while, you have to ignore the history. You know, I, I made 35 grand, which naturally that means 50, which naturally means 75 or whatever the path is. So you're doing this paradigm shift and in your focus, and you're purposely doing it, you're purposely tuning out any possibility of any mental failure. Now, I'm sure Francisco's failed before. I've never seen it. Oh, plenty of times. Yeah, I don't know about that. I'm sure, and I know his family too. They're perfect as well. I'm sure that that there was a close failure though. And it doesn't always work. But if you don't try it, it'll never work. 
if you don't have, if you don't do everything you can to do that paradigm shift, you're listening right now, you're still in college. What do people do that get straight A's? What do people do that go to Harvard for business school? If you're already out of college and you're in a job and you're looking at transitioning, it's the same process. You want to change careers. You don't like it. It's the, it takes work. And that's what I was talking about with Jake a second ago. He wants a wonderful career. Well, there's a paradigm shift. I have to get it myself. What do people do? What, what do I need to emulate? What do I need to do differently? What, what's the path to my goal? And you ignore the naysayers and you get going. So you're sitting there in Philadelphia. Shout out to Philadelphia. What's your favorite cheesesteak? Uh, Pat's, I would say. Pat's, okay. Uh, and by the way, in Philadelphia, you want to see some funny driving, go to Philadelphia during a snowstorm. Nobody has a four-wheel drive. The whole city is hills. And every car is on. I, I've never seen so many accidents in one. And people are driving 85 miles an hour in Mustangs, just sliding everywhere. At And I was at Pat's when I saw it, like two or three accidents. So you're there in Philly. And, and you you and I, you taught you've talked to me before about the school there and and this, uh, what's the name of the school again now I know now, now it's called uh, you know it's, it's Philadelphia University on the the, the Jefferson University system so you know all these schools kind of merge together and okay. now uh, they're under the umbrella of Jefferson University okay well Francisco Morales loves Philadelphia University and the Jefferson University system. And before we got on the air, he was advocating for Jake to go get another degree there. So you you were having a hard time in school understanding the link of math to your life, understanding the link of history to your life, understanding the link of science to your life. Then it got spun a little bit and you were shown how to learn. That was probably really important that Huge. you learned how to learn because you're winning now and it's easier to stay focused when you're winning. But you love the study of textiles and love the study of fashion and apparel management. And that kind of pulled it out of you more. Looking back, and I haven't asked you this question before, do you see why math and science and history and those subjects that you were learning way back when really do apply to your business oh, career? You know, I the best advice that I ever gave my kids to say, hey, guys, just trust me on this one. Yeah. Don't, yeah. you know, don't. Don't get behind on your fundamentals of math. Don't get behind on your fundamentals of science. You might not be able to connect them to why you need them, but later on, because what happened was, you know, once I realized that I needed them, then I had to work extra hard in college. I can get them. I had to get foundational classes that, you know, my friends were not taking. Uh, And I was fortunate that that my college, you know, was offered that, you know, I, I, you know, kind of like a, I, I took some classes that they did not apply towards me graduating. Does that make sense? Like these classes yeah, were yeah, like yeah, so yeah. so basic that me you didn't too. get. I went to school after I got out of school and took an accounting program because I didn't take any accounting. And I was going to be a math major. But after I took my first class, Calculus 2, and did so poorly on it, okay, I'm not a math major. And I didn't understand history. Why would I take history? I ended up getting a degree in history. Because you learn to read and write. That's it. It's not about, and I do love history, and I love going places and understanding cultures. I mean, I can sit and talk to people from Venezuela or from Saudi Arabia or from wherever and know a little bit about them and relate to them and have a relationship in business. I know how to read and write. The math comes in all the time, and you're in the damn textile business. You're in a science business. Oh, completely. I mean, the amount of, you know, I hold myself a few patents. And, you know, in many of these patents, you know, I had to leverage my science knowledge and, and 
other people's knowledges. And so this is all important. It's, it's not, it, it was just my personal journey and my personal struggle with them. And then understanding that my brain needs to understand the why am I learning this in order for it to stick. Yeah. And, so, and we all have, yeah. you know, learning uh, paths, right? Like we all have a, a different path that information goes from, from being available in the ecosystem to your brain and being able to relate it. You got to figure out what your, what your path is. And wisdom is time plus experience. So you figure out your path with time and experience. Now you can shrink the time by adding experience. So you come out of high school, you're working in the family business, learning a little bit. You kind of want to learn English. You end up staying. When you entered in, when, when this thing clicked, when you had this paradigm shift on yourself, when it all started to make sense, did you decide, oh, my God, I got to get ahead. I got to separate myself. I got to start crushing it. Um, is that when it all clicked in and you went on the path to CEO? You know, I, I think, you know, once once I... You know, once I was in college, I think that that click, I was relentless. You know, I I I I felt that the better part, the better times to party and have a good time were gonna come later on. So I would say, you know, I worked really hard. I had a I had a couple jobs during college. I worked hard in my studies and I did not want to be a weak professional. I did not want to go into the workforce, you know, being knowledgeable. And when I got out of school, I probably read more textile books than I read when I was in school. And I was relentless. And to this day, I'm relentless at becoming good at what I do. Like one of my perks, I think, you know, now now this year, I'm, I'm transitioning into a new role within the company, uh, becoming uh, executive chairman, which, you know, uh, is a job that I get to be more strategic and look fo further forward ahead. and. You know, the time that I'm spending right now just trying to understand artificial intelligence and, and how we should leverage that into the into the day-to-day -day job and 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 being, you know, how can 511 be an early adapter to better serve our customers and our consumers and how it will change society. You know, just just this constant learning. I, I think when when you get comfortable in life, you will get bored. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of the show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com slash podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com slash podcast. Now, back to the show. So I want to get, get into this customer thing for a second because it applies to anyone listening right now. They're going to be a lawyer. If they're the 511 of lawyers, they're going to have a following like no other. They're going to have growth like no other. They want to be an actor. They want to be an astronaut. If you and you got to figure out who your customers are. 
uh, which Francisco did, and I bet you guys keep honing it down, honing it down. But before we get there, I got to give you my memory of your bio. You didn't send me a bio or a photo, so I'll make up my own photo if you don't send it, which you don't want. But as far as bio, I, I wrote it down. Grew up in Venezuela. Dad was in textiles, went to school for textiles, got into the almond business, met the guy with pants, grew. And then I went online. And by the way, finding your bio online is difficult because Richard Reisman's password protected all the newspaper articles to get your bio from. So I kind of pieced it together from LinkedIn. It was really, yes, grew up in Venezuela. Yes, family in textiles. Forgot about the English thing. Then Philadelphia University, where this passion play started. And you know you're in the right field when you're reading hundreds of books in your free time to support that field. But then you went into L.L. Bean. And I just want to mention the career path at L.L. Bean. Robin, part of this is what is the career path to CEO yeah, of a big yeah. clothing company. So L.L. Bean, raw materials engineer, then senior raw materials engineer, then manager. What is a raw materials engineer? That was your first real job? Yeah, that was my first real job. And your, your job really is to either make materials that do not exist or find the materials that already exist uh, or, you know, modify materials. In this case, all 99.9% .9 textiles, right? So my, my job was working with mills to engineer fabrics for L.L. Bean that were different than, than, well, you know, L.L. Bean, you know, which was a great school for me, you know, they were relentless when it came to quality. But, you know, one of the challenges that you have in textiles is when you make something of high quality it might not be highly comfortable. And they also wanted to be highly comfortable. So a lot of the innovations that that I was working on, and even here at Five Eleven, a lot of the innovations that we work on have to do with that: making something highly durable yet highly comfortable. Like this, or oh, wrong side, like this thing. I know, no, I know, I, I know, I'm the most passionate about this shoe. <laughs> you are. <laughs> I am, and I know I'm not the target market. But this <laughs> this puncture proof sole that could have been made out of metal. Easily made out of metal, way easier right. than whatever you did, would not have been comfortable. I love it, not because I'm breaking down doors and saving the world. I love it because as a byproduct of whatever material you chose, it's the most comfortable shoe I have. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm back to you, you know, so maybe that speaks to how we design and, and, and do things at 511 and, and what you're saying about understanding your customers. So that that particular project like nothing at 511 gets designed without the input of operators and we call operators you know these people that are on the front lines whether they're a cop military emt uh, in this particular case these were on these are undercover cops that find themselves you know let's say in a crack house or in a situation where there are needles there are nails there's uh they are blood. things on the ground that like, there's blood there's things that will puncture the shoe and they're like hey we 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 were undercover we we want to we want shoes that are good looking uh yet when we get called into this type of situation it's an emergency i cannot go change i gotta go in with the same shoes that i'm wearing so I, we want this type of good looking shoes that have that functionality so our job is to take the the form and the function and put it together in a package that you know yes looks cool performs and is comfortable and so as a raw materials engineer, did you take engineering classes? Is that? Yeah, a lot, a lot of my, you know, <laughs> it's interesting because when I went to school, I wanted to be a textile engineer. That's what I wanted to do. And then after we, I, 
again, a shout out again to Jefferson University, Philadelphia University. Their their career counseling was just amazing. And and the guys like, you know, you seem to be more of a creative guy. Do you know what an engineer, pure engineer does? And I'm like, no. I said, well, you know, it's, if you went in on that path, you're going to be mostly monitoring production. Like that's where you're going to be. But if you go down this path, you could be, kind of like developing the materials and engineering, you know, like designing the materials, coming to them together, but the how to manufacture them more efficient and all these things, you, that would be another group. And I say, okay, that's what I like. I like the creation, the creation part. So most of the classes that I took were around, you know, fundamentals of textiles and understanding the the, the basics of, and basics of textiles and then, then building from there to more and more, to deeper and deeper knowledge so that you now understood how what machinery what raw materials how chemicals behave with certain fibers and then when these problems come that you can design a solution based on your knowledge and leveraging the other uh, infrastructure that people have to create these materials well if every school had the jefferson university system career pro career counseling program i wouldn't have a podcast and we just did our strategic plan with Mike Cato came and did our strategic plan for us at College Works. And one of the initiatives that we're focusing on is whole life learning, I'll call it. And I don't know what we labeled it in the planning. I'll know when I have it formalized in two weeks. Uh, but, you know, taking going beyond just here's how you do your job to, okay, let's do career counseling for you. Let's do life planning for you. We have a company psychiatrist now that people can use when a psychologist can use whenever they want because you know people in in their 20s these days are facing a lot of shit yeah so why not just provide it for them and that's just a big initiative of ours and i man i wish the schools did a better job my daughter i actually had her send a complaint to northeastern university today saying my dad's upset by how you're counseling me on my academics she's a chemistry major and she can't get out of being a chemistry major like, this is the wrong major for the kids. Same thing with your engineering. That's not how she thinks. She's a creative. So this wonderful university is doing this for you. If you work at College Works, call me up. I'll do it for you. If you're related to Francisco and you know who I'm talking to, I'll do that for you too. But <laughs> if you don't find it at your school and you don't know me or Francisco, find it somewhere. Talk to somebody. What do you like? What do you not like? Take a disc test. And so you're going through this this new creative way of approaching the textile industry that you didn't know about before. And that's what career finding is about. Well, still not to where he's at. We're on the path to where he's at. So you're, you go through this kind of metamorphosis and what your goals are. And then again, and then again, and then again, and that's the life path to your end career. I tell people you're going to change your career six times. That's what the scientists say, not me. And career is after being a not ever going to college, I'm not going to be uh, in the apparel management side. You were in the manufacturing side, then going to college, then a raw materials engineer and through that whole career path, the raw materials manager, switching gears to Dick's. And now you're in product development, which is a little bit different. You're using the stuff that the raw materials engineers are coming up with to make products and then design manager and then director. So what happened there? Why did you change? And what was the difference at Dick's and at LLB? Yeah, you know, at, at that point, and and this is, you know, for for the 
for the people watching the podcast and listening in, you got to start your journey somewhere. You know, I I knew I wanted to be a CEO, but how do you be? How do you just show up and and become a CEO? I know I knew I wanted to run a business. I know that's that's where my passion is. I love working with people. I love creating things. But so you know, at that point, I had been exposed to the different areas that were necessary to create a product. I knew how to design, I knew how to develop, I knew I knew everything, but had not done it all together at once. When I went to Dick's, it was a new department that had been that I was creating with another individual. He was my boss, brought me in to be kind of like the technical guy. And it's like, okay, let's go. So I started designing the products, sourcing the products, coming up with the brands, doing all these things. And that, of course, gave me a lot of experience because now I was doing all these things and kind of understanding, you know, like I was never formally trained, for example, as a designer, like, like you know, like a designer gets, goes through a path. I, I received basic design training. You know, some of our best-selling products here in the company were designed by me. So uh, that... Scott Oliver, that's not a designer, can't draw. Some of the best-selling products at Nike and Oakley were designed by him. It, so so you, you just got to go and explore different things. But if you're sitting on the sidelines because you're looking for the perfect job, you're waiting for the perfect opportunity, you're wow. waiting for everything to be perfect, you're just wasting your time. I mean, one of the jobs that I had that had the most influence on my work ethic was when I worked with my family in the business and my dad put me as the assistant of the truck. Of the truck. So you go in the truck to deliver, you know, products and to deliver textiles and pick up stuff the driver is not supposed to do anything you know the driver is driving and then there are two guys that sit with the driver and you load unload and do all this stuff but the driver happened to be a guy that as a kid suffered of polio and walked all crooked and these guys we will get to a to a place he will get out and i'll work the two of us like this guy had a work ethic that you know I couldn't keep up with the guy, and I was. Did your dad you, put you with him on purpose? I I don't know. Probably, <laughs> uh, you know. So this guy, did. this guy, and I eventually said, you know what? Let's get rid of the second person. You know, so him and I used to go everywhere and tackle everything together because you know <laughs> I was trying to keep I was trying to keep up with him. These are life lessons. Yeah, I was the trying to keep up with him. And, and you get rid of the guy that's not doing anything, all in the same truck ride along. Yeah, we you know the him him and I I was trying to keep up with him. We had another person. Then this person was always lazy, so we kept firing the person that will help us. And and but again, back to the the life lesson was. You know, just take a job, go go yeah. at it, and 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 once you're done with that job, at the same time that you have a job, you could be looking for another job, but don't yeah. be sitting on the sidelines waiting for the perfect job to show up. That's that's not how it works. Yeah, the, well, it does. It does work that way. But you had to go through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, then business school, ten jobs to get to it over the course of 20 something years. So it'll get there. It just doesn't get there right away. Exactly. Sitting on the sidelines, that 10 or 20 years might be your entire lifetime. That's right. Wasted. So um, you go through that. And it's interesting. You want to be a CEO? Francisco knows all elements of the business. I mentioned I took accounting classes. You need to know uh, Scott Olivet, who we mentioned before, Francisco and I are a good friend of ours. He told another friend of mine, Ted Lee, if you want to be the CEO someday, you need to move from sales to operations. And he was head of sales for Oakley. 
and he moved into operations. And then he ended up at Quicksilver, I think, as president of Quicksilver. Because Scott said you need to have this well-rounded knowledge, and Scott was the respected CEO at Oakley at the time. So then you go to Royal Robbins, which I believe brought you to California, right? Wasn't that the great? Yeah, that that's that's when I joined my partner, uh, who who was a YPO or amazing entrepreneur. He had bought uh, Royal Robbins, and and I joined him as his minority partner to to turn uh, Royal Robbins around. And was the Royal Robbins the company that made the pants? Yeah, the Royal Robbins made up a, a pair of pants called the Five Eleven Pants, uh, named after uh, climb rating in in Yosemite, and and these pants became. And you were really, in Fresno, right? Right by uh, Modesto, 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 California. Right, right by right by Yosemite. Okay. Yeah, Modesto, California, and and the pants had become the to this day they're the issue pants of the FBI Academy. So when you go up there to train, they they issue two pair of pants and. And then in 2003, two, with this two pairs. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, you're just there for a certain amount of time. And get two pairs of pads. Okay. Yeah, that's your uniform. So you get a you get issue of uh, two five eleven polos, I think, and two two pants. And then in 2003, we realized, wow, you know, this is such an under underserved market. Nobody was really innovating from performance perspective for police, military, EMT. So we created a, a company that was gonna do that just really drive performance for these end users just like you know nike does for runners right and and other companies do do for other sports this was kind of like an orphaned uh industry where everybody that was innovating was innovating around cost innovation so what does that mean i can make it for ten dollars and matt is better than me and he can make it for 950 but nobody had any care for the end user we came to the business say, hey, we don't care how much it costs. We just care that the voice of the consumer is heard and that those needs and wants are translated into a functional product. And we started doing that. My partner, you know, came from the restaurant business and he was, and he was not, he's still so good uh, at that, you know, just kind of like, you know, he was a chef, right? So listen to the customer and say, hey, well, how would you like your steak? To him, he will translate that. Well, how would you like your pants? And then we will go and, and make the pair of pants or make the jackets or make the flashlight or any type of equipment that, that our end users uh, needed. Uh, by the way, I have this many of your life lessons written down. Um, so, oh, so you meet this guy, um, you go into business with them, you're making the pants, you decide, hey, we can do this with more than pants. We can bring this customer-centric focus and design focus and practicality focus to other elements in the same core. They didn't go make car tires. They didn't make uh, weaponry. They stayed in their core competency. That's another little lesson. You get up, figure out what your horse is and ride it. You need a horse. You can get a different horse, but textiles was their horse. And you start expanding. And then you went to Thunderbird. Because I know you went to Thunderbird. Yeah. Yeah, I, I went. The business going while you're in business school. Yeah. You know, I took. We sold the business, a large portion of the business in 2007, and uh, I decided, you know, maybe I, I needed to take a sabbatical, and, and and I took a sabbatical and I started another business, the almond business uh, in California. Oh, that's when I, where the almonds come from. Yeah. I you got off your horse. Yeah, I got off. Well, you know, they, the family had been in farming for many years, and I had that bug, and so I started the almond farming and started another manufacturing business that I still own uh, in Vietnam, where we we make you know technical apparel, and and I went to business school, so 
that was kind of like uh, my my sabbatical. That's when I went to Thunderbird, which there wasn't also, you know, maybe I think for the listeners, one takeaway from my MBA, you know, the time that I did my MBA, uh, it was different than when I did my undergrad or when I went to school uh, early on. I think the philosophy of teaching, at least at that time, at Thunderbird has changed. I don't know if it has changed all over, but they the thought was, you know, you should focus on your strengths and build up on them. Because if you focus on your weaknesses, even if you work really, really hard, at best you'll be average. But if you focus on your strengths, you could be, you know, brilliant. You could be amazing. It, it, it doesn't mean that you don't take care of your weaknesses. So they steered you back to 511? Well, it's more about, you know, think about it like, you know, I'm a very creative person. By nature, my, my, the way that I think uh, ideas, problem solving is, is very fluid. It's not linear. So for example, if I, if I, if I work really hard to become really good at, you know, cranking these crazy spreadsheets that are very linear, I'm I'm still going to be bad. I mean, I have people here in the company that, you know, can build, build a rocket with a, with a spreadsheet. It it doesn't matter. You're never going to beat them. And I, and there is no need, you know, we work as a, uh, you work as a team yeah. and then you bring your, you know, it's kind of like, I think about it like a talent potluck, right? You bring your dishes to the yeah. potluck talent and then potluck. other people bring their dishes and it, you just make a feast. Uh, and that's why I'm also a big believer, you know, when people, when, when I, when I put our team against other teams, I say, bring it on. Because, you know, we are like so crazy about cross-functional collaboration, meaning collaborating across different functions within the company. You know, I, I, it's, we're very confident, let's put it that way, on our ability to serve our consumers and customers better than our competitors. So on the, on the, the, there's this book called Strength Finder. There's a test called Strength Finder. There's this whole theory of focus on your strengths, mm-hmm. not your weaknesses. If you focus on your weaknesses, you just have better weaknesses. I throw one caveat in there, depending on age. I don't know that a 20-year-old knows what their strengths and weaknesses are. I gave my daughter the DIS test, so I knew chemistry was going to be a weakness. The DIS test doesn't work till you're 19. So I give yourself a break until you're 19 or 20, and then I'm not detail-oriented. I can't be an accountant. I can't do the spreadsheets. I'm not super creative, right? I've got other strengths. I found those in my 20s. Based on when you went to Thunderbird, you were about 30 when you went there. Yeah. You found them in your 20s. So the 20s is your discovering of what your strengths are. And you still work on your weaknesses a little bit because they may pop up. Um, You may not be organized. That's not a strength or a weakness. That's something to get done. Yeah. So So don't get confused on that. But you're finding that you've got this creativity. You heard about it at one school at the Philadelphia School. You hear about it at Thunderbird. You kind of lived it. And then you come out of Thunderbird. How'd you end up back at or back? At no, Bible? you know it was a sabbatical. I was supposed to come back, so so then I came back. But Matt, I, I would really like to to emphasize what you just said because you don't know what you're good at or bad at it until you really work on it and try it. You yeah. cannot be, you know, like for example, when I was in in Venezuela, I was really bad at English because I was a bad student. So by default, anything that required studying, uh, you know, when I moved to the U.S. Three months later, I was like very 
good at you know establishing conversations so although i don't speak english perfectly and i have an accent and all the things uh you know nowadays i realize oh i'm pretty decent at languages so i speak like two three languages you know bad but i speak right so i would have not known that unless i did it so don't hold yourself back especially if you're in your early 20s try everything and then you start figuring out okay normally you're good at the stuff that you enjoy at least that works for me. Stuff that I that I enjoy, uh, and enjoy doesn't mean that it's no work. Like I enjoy you don't running. Enjoy all of it. You enjoy most of it. Yeah, like like running, for example. To this day, the first mile when I go to run, I freaking hate it. Like if I run because I feel like running, I will never go running. But is is that third fourth mile that once you're there, you're like oh. Those endorphins yeah. start kicking in. So, yeah. but before you start giving up, you need to run a hundred miles in whatever you're doing and you're about to give up on. Exactly. Okay. Try push yourself. It's like, hey, I'm not organized. Okay, try to be organized. See if it works. Uh, hey, I'm I, I cannot draw. Try drawing. Like push yeah. yourself. Like push yourself in areas that you never try because uh, you don't know. Yeah, and if you're if you're 19 years old and you're listening to this right now. Remember that six years ago, your mom was ironing your underwear and cutting the crust off your bread. You've only been a functioning adult for yeah. two years. You're still living on someone else's dime, most likely, if you're 19 years old. So you've got to get out there. And it happens in your late 20s and your 30s. And then you just invest all the energy you're working on your weaknesses that aren't that weak anymore because you worked on them into these things that are your strengths. So you start track. Go ahead. No, and don't forget what I told you about the paradigm shift. If you're 19 and you set a goal and you say, you know, this is what I want to become, that will send you on a path. It's kind of like, you know, putting a, a coating on the back of your head that you don't even know that you put it there. Uh, of course, you think about it every day. You revisit it every day. Uh, you know, to this day, you know, I have very aggressive goals, you know. I wake up in the morning, I have them written on my phone, I have a coffee, and I open them every morning, and I read, you know, this is what I want to become, this is what I want to do, and and I just repeat it, and, and I truly believe that, you know, by doing that subconsciously, I'm making decisions, small, small decisions that end to outcomes later on. Yeah, you're, you know. pre- you're reprogramming your subconscious every morning, we've talked about it on this show. Every, all the time. Most of the people that are successful have a morning ritual and a PM ritual. Most of the people that are successful have goals that they reset and they review. Francisco's ritual is the goal. He's reading them every day. And actually, I just did this with Jill. Um, I, we broke down her calendar. We helped her build some, some rituals in the morning. We helped her build some evening rituals to kind of get herself to the next level. And every morning, she and she does the same thing. Coffee, walk the dog, meditate, and then think about her goals and her plan. Um, and so you're doing it. Jill's doing it. I'm doing it. I actually have my goal sheet sitting right here. Right here. Here it is. Right on the top of my pile. Boom. And Boom. I mark, and I got it all circled up and marked up today. These are the ones yeah. I'm working on today. So that's what we're doing. And so Francisco's come a long way. But we didn't talk too much about 511. Uh, real quick, 511, we've already talked about the customer-centric focus, meeting with their customers, Th- the customers design things, taking customers' desires. And I'm, I'm wearing one of the jackets, and if I was undercover, it'd be cool because I could reach through my pocket and reach into another place to get my gun. I've got these little, I use them to store my phone. I know they're not for 
supposed to be used for phones yeah. and, and gum. But it's designed for these people that have specific needs. And, and there's all these products that way. And so 511 went from this very small company making pants, making, and I learned this from Scott as well, making slight steps in their core competency, taking the technology and the focus and the attitude towards customers from pants to shorts and from shorts to a t-shirt or a polo. And then, and then maybe a jacket. I bet you didn't get shoes for a long time, right? You know, we, we did it a couple of years later. The, the beauty at that point is that, you know, we, we knew how to make products, any type of product. Plus we, we had the best in the best uh, out there that we could bring along. So, you know, I'll give you an example. One time we were with this group of snipers and they said, man, it would be great if somebody could put the come ups in a watch. And it's like, what the heck is the come ups? And they're like, well, you know, when you shoot at a distance, the bullet travels this way and you have to take the wind velocity, the caliber, the angle of attack, and you put all these variables into these tables and it gives you how you should adjust your scope, like one click to the left, to the right. And we're like, well, you know, if it's a mathematical equation, we probably could figure out. So, you know, that year we went to one of the best watchmakers that we knew in Asia and we explained to him, to him what we were trying to do. He said, well, you know, let's let's get some all Casio, Casio, former Casio engineers from the Philippines. They're the best. They could do. Then we got a guy that had the software. So we put it, this whole group together. Next, you know, we had this beautiful. You had a new potluck. Yeah, we had a, a new potluck of team people that could put and we made this amazing watch that cal could calculate the come-ups and it was amazing of course that be that technology became obsolete once you could put it in in a in a phone but it just shows you that we had no boundaries if the customer wanted x we would put the right team around that problem and come up with a problem and that's what 511 does today is that your core competency taking a customer's ideas and make it into a practical product I would say I would say yes. Normally, it's more we're taking a customer's problem, okay, and and we're translating it. Like you know, right now the team is working on you know some <laughs> probably can't not talk about that, but uh, yeah, just crazy stuff to to help our you know our people, our people, <laughs> our, our our people our do people a better job us. Uh, in the front lines. Just solutions that just just make a big difference. And at the same time, you know, we have people working on fashion type of products that have a lot of functionality. So, so we do we do all that today. We have 124 stores in the U.S. We have a presence globally, and and a fan base. I will I will say that that grows every day. And, and see that idea and call them customers. I mean fans. I mean these are people that love us and we love them. They love our products. Uh, and we are just stoked to be making, you know, more of these innovations that, that people appreciate and like. So are you surprised at where you're at now? I know your dad would, would be surprised based on what you said earlier. <laughs> are you surprised? You know, I don't think my dad would was surprised on the on the business side because I was always very entrepreneurial since I was a kid. I was I was always good at making money uh and doing all these things i he was surprised on, on on the academic side i i actually to this day i'm surprised and that's why i'm a big believer believer into paradigm shift and then of course uh once i tested it with running i was even more surprised because 
you know, while I was telling Shannon that whatever you put in your head, you can become, I was kind of doubting if it really, <laughs> if it would really work for running. And, and Matt, you get it because you used to know me before, right? Uh, and uh, so, no, I, you know, I, I think as far as I'm concerned, the party just got started. I have, you know, big ambitions. I don't feel that I am a, my final destination. I am in the journey of continuing to become better and better. Uh, what I do uh, personally and professionally, uh, probably a little bit uh, behind on the personal side. So there's some catch up to do there. And that's, you know, kind of when when uh, I was trying to allude to like, like, hey, you got to find, you know, how to do all together. It's like it was easy for me to do it on the professional side. And and there is some catching up to do on the personal side. We're going to get this episode out early and shout out to Sean Baldwin. Francisco is not on the list. He needs to work on his personal side. He needs to come on the trip. How could you be missing this trip? Well, I've got one more question for you. You were on the last one. One more question for you, and then we're done. What sacrifice did you make in your 20s looking back? And it was a sacrifice that you look back and you say, man, I am so glad I did this. I'm so glad I made that sacrifice. It's not even a question. It wasn't even really a sacrifice. Yeah, you know, so when I got out of school, uh, again, the the options were open. I, I couldn't move to New York City. Or I could have moved to Maine and work at L.L. Bean. And financially, when I did the math, and I was like, well, money is going to go longer because, you know, a longer way. Uh, this New York paid more, but, you know, the rent was like four times as much. Right. Uh, I also felt that I was going to be more focused. There were going to be less distractions and I could focus on work versus, you know, partying. Uh, you know, like any young person, I love partying. Like, like any. So, and I had to spread it out over fifty years. Yeah, early and spread it out. Exactly. So that's really what I did. I was like, hey, you know, to this day, I love to party, uh, but I do it with balance, right? I didn't. You don't want to burn all your fuses, you know, in your in your twenties. Uh, you you want you want to you, know, you you, you want to <laughs> be able to to have a, a long career. So I would say, yeah, you know, uh, saving money, working hard. I personally always stayed away from drugs. Uh, you know, I that has that has been something that that for me, uh, I seen all their friends go the wrong way with that. I was like, I also have an addictive personality, so when I go into yeah. something, I go in big time. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I always stay away from that. So yeah, I would say that you know, saving money and working hard probably are the. And May, your sacrifice is moving to Maine. I want to go check out Maine. I want to see the fall. Beautiful. It's, it's the m most beautiful place you can visit in the world, especially in the fall. It's just uh, it's a, one of the best kept secrets out there. I can't wait. When Kennedy goes to Boston next year, she's in Oakland right now. So she did London, Oakland. We get to go up there and we get to see the fall. We're actually going up there for Halloween. We're going to go to Salem. Oh, we got, we're all excited about the leaves. It's well, amazing. Well, Francisco, I got to tell you, this is the longest episode we've ever recorded. I kept looking at the clock because I wanted to respect your time, but then I didn't want to because you came up with such great stuff. Thank you so much for sharing with everybody out there. Shout out to your kids. Make sure you listen to your dad's recording. It's <laughs> awesome. Uh, have a great, happy new year. I'll see you in the very near future, and I'll make sure you're on the list for the Baldwin trip. All right, Matt. Thank you for, for the friendship all these years, and thank you for having me over. And good luck and many uh, blessings to everybody on their life journey. Enjoy it. It's only one, so enjoy right. it. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. 
Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com slash podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com slash podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.